This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Time now for The Bickerson, starring Don Amici. Tonight, we hear all about Blanche's stomachache. From Hollywood, it's dream time. Now you can get a great new improved dream, the shampoo of lovely stars in Hollywood. The new miracle shampoo that lets your hair shine like the stars. Ladies and gentlemen, the makers of the new improved Dream Shampoo are pleased to present the Dream Show, produced by Carlton Alsop and starring Don Amici. Let me sleep, will you please, Blanche? Danny Thomas. It's a free country. I'm a citizen. And Francis Langford singing... Sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm blue, my disposition... Depends on you. I never mind the rain from the sky. If I can find the sun in your eyes. Sometimes I love you. Sometimes I hate you. But when I hate you, it's cause I love you. That's how I am. I do. I'm happy when I'm with you. Sometimes I love you, sometimes I hate you. But when I hate you, it's cause I love you. That's how I am. So what can I do? Because I'm happy. Here's news from Hollywood. Thrilling beauty news about the greatest shampoo improvement in years. And here is your host for the evening, Don Amici. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and good evening. Hello, Francis. Sorry I wasn't home when you dropped by this morning. I want to talk to you about Danny. I'm worried about him. You remember when he said I was his favorite girl last week? Yes. Well, he means it. Now he thinks I'm the sweetest and noblest creature that ever walked on earth. Well, when did you discover this? This morning. It was written all over my front sidewalk, and it took me half the day to scrub it off. 
Well, don't worry. Boys often become deeply infatuated with someone beyond their reach. Well, frankly, I'm, I'm very fond of Danny, but... Hello, everybody. You leave for a second, Francis, and I'll have a talk with him. Well, if it isn't Danny Thomas! John, John, have you ever noticed how the leaves on the trees nestle in each other's arms? And how the honeybees stop at each fading flower and how the blossoms dip their petals in sweet surrender? Well, it sounds like you've got yourself a girl. Yeah. Did you notice the difference it makes? You know, Don, I even comb my hair in the back now where it doesn't show. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's Francis, isn't it? Don, gentlemen of breeding do not bandy a lady's name about. Well, I wasn't bandying. I was just saying it was Francis. Francis. I'll never forget the first time I saw her. I said to myself, there is a woman. <laughs> now, that's a shrewd observation. I'm in love with her. You in love? Let's face it, Don. There comes a time in every boy's life when his Lone Ranger badge becomes unimportant. <laughs> You've been thinking a lot about girls lately, Danny. There are other things more important. Where do you think President Truman would be if he thought about girls all the time? At the YWCA. Where else? <laughs> but really, Don... <laughs> This is different from other girls. For her, I'd swim the deepest mountain. I'd climb the highest river. Why, I'd even cross Hollywood and Vine in a pedestrian zone. <laughs> Dangerous, brother. Then you plan to marry her, I assume. Yes, and if we are married, who knows? Someday we may even be man and wife. <laughs> Danny, you're making a serious institution sound farcical. You don't deserve to be married. What have you got to offer, Francis? You realize how accomplished she is? She can sing, dance, swim, ride, pilot a plane. Oh, we'll get along fine. I'm a great cook. <laughs> Hello, Don. Hi, Danny. Hello, Francis. You're just the person I want to see here. I have a present for you. Oh, thank you. What is it? Chocolate-covered radishes. <laughs> just what I've always wanted. Danny, I don't see how any girl could be romantic about you. Why? Fellas like me don't grow on trees. If they did, I'd be in favor of reforestation. <laughs> Frankly, I don't think you know what love is. You just have spring fever. Now, how do you know? Oh, the symptoms are obvious. Instead of dreaming about girls, you ought to spend your excess energy in something more suitable for you. Play with your chemistry set. Yeah, but... Go out and kick a football, then run around the block six times. When you're all finished, go home and take a good dose of sulfur and molasses. That's my prescription for you. Come oh, yeah, on, but... Francis, I'll buy you a soda. Wait a minute, Francis, Don. Hey, wait a minute. Oh, that big shot of Michi. He kills me. You know, he thinks he's a doctor right away. He's diagnosing. <laughs> I said, diagnose my case. Tells me I have spring fever. Oh, that guy. You don't know what love is, he says to me. I should have said I do, too. It's a tenth word in a telegram, I should have said. <laughs> Tries to insinuate that Francis wouldn't marry me. I should have said, listen, Don, I could marry any girl I please. Trouble is, I never please any of them. <laughs> Wise guy. Tells me about symptoms. I have spring fever. I've got the spring fever, and he walks off with Francis. I don't get it. He's not too slick for me. His tongue may be as sharp as a razor's edge, but his brain has already seen the best years of his life. That's all I can Describe sulfur and molasses. What a nerve he has trying to be a doctor. I could be my own doctor. Much better one than he is. I could be the greatest doctor in the world. Sure, why not? It's a free country. I'm a citizen. Gee, I can just see me now astounding the medical profession. All I need is 12 good doctor jokes and a musical bridge from Carmen Dragon. Nurse. Yes, doctor. Needle, please. Needle. Scissors. Scissors. Steady now. There. Done. Doctor, you're wonderful. Not a bad job. I don't think the patch will show unless I bend over. 
Doctor, you're remarkable. Oh, it's nothing really compared to some of my accomplishments. Did you know that I finally succeeded in isolating the Haemophilus germ? How exciting. How did you do it? Oh, I took it to an isolated part of town and left it there. <laughs> it's amazing that no one ever thought of that before. Ah, that's because most doctors just look for the obvious. You take a glass of plain, ordinary milk, for instance. Do you realize the hidden properties it possesses? Hidden properties? Certainly. I've discovered that milk contains all the elements for a plastic strong enough to make automobile fenders. That's wonderful. What's so wonderful about it? Think of the poor farmer getting up four o'clock in the morning to milk a fender. <laughs> Are you Dr. Thomas? Yes, that'll be ten dollars, please. <laughs> but you, you haven't diagnosed my case yet. That'll be twenty dollars, and please make it brief. I'm very busy. But, but I... But I... I don't know whether I can speak freely with you. After all, I'm a woman. Yes, I noticed that when you came in. <laughs> Shall we dance? <laughs> oh, please, Doctor, I'm under a great nervous tension. I've tried everything and nothing has helped. I've gone mountain climbing in Switzerland, swimming in hot springs, and skiing at Sun Valley. And now I've come to you as a last resort. <laughs> Well, this isn't much of a resort, but you could try sliding down the roll top desk. Please help me, Doctor. If this terrible strain keeps up, I'll, I'll find myself an old woman. Why, you look and see if you can find me a young one. <laughs> Tell me, madam, why do you feel the need of a doctor? Well, I've been suffering from hallucinations lately. I just... Uh... I keep imagining that little men are following me wherever I go. Oh, I see. You want to know how to get rid of the little men? No, I want to know how to catch them. <laughs> Obviously, madam, you're suffering from a severe shock. Has anything frightened you lately? Well, just the other night, a burglar broke into my house. What did you do? I immediately locked all the doors and windows, but he managed to get to the phone and call the police. <laughs> Dr. Thomas speaking. Yes? Hmm. Hmm. No, Mrs. Roquefort, I can't leave the office. I'll have to examine your floating rib here. Wait until it's high tide and float it over. <laughs> and now, madam, to get back to you, I'll have to call in my assistant for consultation. Oh, uh, Dr. Amici. Yes? <laughs> You've had your ear to the keyhole. How do you think we should treat this woman? Well, the first thing in cases like this is to have the patient sheared and clipped. <laughs> sheared and clipped? You'll have to forgive Dr. Amici. He used to work in a cat and dog hospital. <laughs> Amici, I've told you a hundred times, we don't shear and clip the patients here. Just clip them. <laughs> Allow me to examine her, Dr. Thomas. Madam, will you please say, ah. 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 Stick around, folks. We'll get back to the dialogue in a minute. <laughs> I can't see a thing wrong with her. I can. She's suffering from a malaprops diversion of the upper cardiac diaphragm and the neuromuscular system. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. The medical books are full of words. <laughs> Isn't there some cure for me? I don't know. After all, I'm only a doctor. <laughs> but let me tell you about a new drug I just invented. There are many mental giants who've contributed to science in ways that will last forever. But I've recently surpassed them, outmaneuvered and outclassed them in this wonderful field of endeavor. Sulfonilamide! Sulfatidine. Sulfatidine. 
and penicillin <laughs> have made their claim to fame. But I've discovered a formula that puts them all to shame. I've discovered sulfahiathia, parapentanilamide. Doctors will adore it. It's miraculous, stupendous, it's the most amazing cure. But there is no disease for it. <laughs> if you have no sulfahiathia, parapentanilamide, run right out and buy it. And in case you've eaten poison mushrooms and you're very sick, I recommend the change of the diet. If you're really ill, just take one pill. It's the only thing for you. For this miracle drug kills every bug. And you know what? Kills the patient, too. <laughs> you can see the sulfahiathia parapentanilamide is a faulty fixer. So the best thing if you're ailing is to bury yourself in work. Unless you're a concrete mixer. <laughs> Ain't that silly? <laughs> but it's better than sulfahiathia parapentanilamide. Now our lovely dream girl, Frances Langford, joins Carmen Dragon and his orchestra to sing Dancing in the Dark. And we can face the music 
Don Amici and Francis Langford as John and Blanche Bickerson with Danny Thomas as Brother Amos in The Honeymoon is Over, written by Phil Rapp. The Bickersons have retired. Mrs. Bickerson rises in sympathetic anguish at 2 o'clock in the morning as poor husband John, victim of contagious insomnia or Schmoe's disease, broadcast the telltale symptoms during the crucial stage of the dread ailment. Listen. whining and giggling, but now you start crying and it throws me off completely. What are you talking about? You've got to stop it, John. I've never been so sick in all my life and you won't let me get a minute's sleep. I don't feel well. What hurts you, Blanche? Everything hurts me. Call Dr. Marvin. You don't need Dr. Marvin. I'll take care of you. Tell me where it hurts. It's those clams we had tonight. I didn't want to eat them, but you kept insisting. You kept telling me clams are healthy. Well, clams are healthy. They are not. They are, too. Did you ever hear one complain? <laughs> I ate more than you did, and I feel perfectly horrible. I mean, fine. Where does it hurt you? I think I'm poisoned. My whole body aches, and I've got a terrible shooting pain between my shoulder blades. Well, lie still, and I'll fry you some cucumbers and hot root beer. <laughs> Cucumbers and hot root beer. Make a new man of you. You just want to finish me off, that's all. Oh, Blanche, I'm only going to make a poultice out of it. It draws out the pain. It's a new medical discovery. What's the matter with an old-fashioned mustard plaster? Okay, I'll fix you an old-fashioned mustard plaster. Where's the bourbon? Bourbon? <laughs> What's that for? To soak the mustard plaster. John Bickerson. Don't worry, I'll scrape the mustard off first. Where's the bottle? I'm not going to stick any bourbon-soaked plaster on my back. You don't stick it on your back. You hold it over your mouth and squeeze it. <laughs> Put on the lights. I will not. 
I don't want you to touch me. I'll bet you're not sick at all. You just thought this pain up to keep me awake. Why don't you leave me alone? I can just hear you saying that to Gloria Gooseby. Why should I say that to Gloria Gooseby? Why, indeed. If you were married to Gloria Gooseby, she wouldn't stand for any of your nonsense. I'm not married to her, and she stands for a lot more of my nonsense than you do. <laughs> I mean, what do I care what she stands for? I despise Gloria Gooseby, and you know it. Then why does she keep staring at you like she's hypnotized? She doesn't stare. It's just that she wears those outlandish dresses, and they bring out her eyes. They bring yours out, too Now look, Lance Let's make a pact never to mention that woman's name again as long as we live Well, I keep thinking there's something between you I swear, I don't know she's alive She doesn't mean more to you than I do She means even less to me than you do I don't like the way that sounded Well, don't go looking for hidden meanings now, if you're really sick, I'll do anything you want to make you feel better. Now, if you feel okay, all I ask is that you let me have a few hours sleep. Now, is that fair enough? No, I did have a little headache before, but now I've lost it. It isn't lost. I've got it. <laughs> Every morning when I go to work, I'm bleary-eyed, and, and I stumble around the office in a stupor. I don't know how much longer my boss is going to stand for it. Why do you stumble around, John? Well, because I don't get enough sleep. I'm completely debilitated. And only last week, I failed to pass an insurance examination. Was it the same examination you had before? Well, certainly. Then why didn't you copy the answers off of the old policy? It's not answers they want. They give you a medical checkup. And apparently, I'm not such an ideal physical specimen. I think you're wonderful. You've got the nicest legs of any man I ever saw. In the meantime, I don't think I'm... Long for this world. Am I responsible for it, John? No. I am, too. I know I am. John, can I talk to you? Sure. Go ahead and talk. I've been thinking about how we quarrel all the time, and I'm sure we love each other as much as any other married couple, and I know they must have their little arguments, maybe even more than... John! <laughs> you said I could talk to you. Well, am I stopping you? I want you to listen. Okay. I didn't know your health was bad, and I'm worried. If anything happened to you, I'd blame myself for not taking the proper precautions. So you know what I think? What do you think, Blanche? I think you ought to make out a will. <laughs> make out a will? I thought you were worried about me. Well, you don't want to leave me at the mercy of all those grasping relatives of yours, do you? The minute you drop dead... Don't talk like that! Can't you say... Pass on or something like that? Well, you always say drop dead. Oh, well, that's only when I'm talking to your brother Amos. <laughs> you should be a little more delicate when you're discussing wills. Why? Well, because you make it sound like I'm going to go any minute. Well, they don't give you two weeks' notice, you know. <laughs> you just told me you couldn't get any more insurance. Oh, I can get all the insurance I want. I don't care. You should make out a will just the same. Okay, I'll make it out tomorrow. You say it, but you won't do it. <laughs> get up and do it now. What? Go on, get up and make out a will. Why, you're out of your mind. In the first place, a will isn't legal unless you have two witnesses. And in the second place, I haven't got anything to leave in the first place. <laughs> unless you think of that phony stock your thieving brother sold me. What phony stock? Those 500 shares of Kentucky saltpeter. <laughs> They're not worth the paper they're written on. 
Nobody's going to take anything, and I don't need a will. You're the most stubborn man that ever lived, John. Why? Why am I stubborn? It's the hardest thing in the world to make you admit I'm right when you know I'm wrong. (laughs) There's a woman's logic for you. Suppose I do make out a will and nobody can touch anything except you. Okay. So now you got all my worldly goods. First thing you know, you get over your grief and marry a guy without a dollar to his name. Like that broken-down snore specialist, Dr. Marvin. Oh, I'm not going to marry anybody. He'll give up his practice and take you for every penny. My hard-earned money. The little possessions I slave for. He'll drive my brand-new car. Drink my bourbon. Loaf around like a prince. John! Why don't you make the bum get a job, Blanche? <laughs> John, what got into you? Well, why did you start all this talk about wills? Well, I'll tell you. Amos just got a job as an old republic. Amos. And he gets $2 for every seal he puts on a will. I knew he was at the bottom of it, that chiseling grafter. There's nothing wrong with my brother Amos. No. You're just jealous because he thinks up ways to make a living without working. Mm-hmm. All it takes is a little brain. Nobody's got littler brains than Amos. <laughs> He's the cause of... 90% of our fights. Oh, go to sleep. <laughs> go to sleep, she tells me. Practically talks me into a funeral. <laughs> Gets her brother to seal my will. Keeps me up half the night with Gloria Gooseby and clams. <laughs> now she tells me, go to sleep. <laughs> Can't sleep. Never sleep another wink. Oh. <laughs> Hello. The phone's dead. It's leaking. Put down that bottle of bourbon. I'll get the phone. I wonder who's calling it. Oh, my leg. Put the lights on. The lights are on. Take off my sleep shade. Oh. <laughs> Hello. Blanche, this is Amos. What do you want, Amos? Hey, did you talk him into it? No, and I'm not going to try anymore. What are you talking about? Everybody's got to have a will. I drew mine up today. I left everything I have in the world to Jarko. John... Uh, Amos said he drew up his will today and left everything he has in the world to you. Tell him I don't want her. <laughs> Amos, John says he's very pleased. Fine, and you know, one good turn deserves another. Sure, I'll talk to him tomorrow. Very important to have a will, Blanche. There's a big case going on right now, and all the relatives are fighting over the dough because a rich old lady didn't file a will. Really? Yeah, she had $100,000 in cash and hid it in the bustle of her wedding dress. Hey, tell Jocko. John... Yeah. An old lady died and they found $100,000 in her bustle. That's a lot of money to leave behind. <laughs> he says that's Never a lot... Never mind. I heard him. I'll bring my notary seal around tomorrow, Blanche. You better wait till I call you. Good night, Amos. Oh, dear. John. John. I've got that shooting pain between my shoulder blades again. Oh, let's have a look. Right here. It must be arthritis or a neuralgia. It sticks me like a knife. What is it, John? It's the price tag on your nightgown. (laughs) Here. No wonder my back was hurting. Holy smokes, $48.50. Is that what that nightgown cost? (laughs) Yes, I just bought it this morning. What's the matter, John? Now my back is hurting. (laughs) Good night, Blanche. This 
is Don Amici wishing you good days, good nights, and good luck until we meet again. Remember this beauty tip from Hollywood stars. For hair that shines like the stars, use the great new improved green shampoo. It means lovelier hair for Hollywood stars and lovelier hair for you. Listen next Sunday for another pleasant half hour with Don Amici, Danny Thomas, Francis Langford, Carmen Dragon and his orchestra, and yours truly, Toby Reed. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's The Whistler, followed by The Jack Benny Show. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. We start by going back to 1948. Now, in November of that year, the first land camera, the Model 95, is sold in Boston at Jordan Marsh Department Store. The cost... $89.75. This model is the prototype for all Polaroid land cameras produced for the next 15 years. The next year, the Polaroid land model 95 camera exceeded $5 million in the first year. 1948 was also the year that the Summer Olympic Games were held in London, England, and were the first games in 12 years due to World War II. A total of 4,104 athletes from 59 countries participated in 136 athletic events. These were the first games to be shown on television. And on radio? Well, a scary program was offered to listeners, and that's where we begin tonight with an episode of Quiet, Please. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. Broadcasting System presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for tonight is called The Pathetic Fallacy. I had very little to do with it, really. I don't even know how it works. No, I'll take that back. I do know how it works in general, but the details, nobody but the old gentleman knows them. And I sometimes wonder if he does, really. You see, after all, it's merely a differential integrator. Everybody knows what a differential integrator is, of course, but this one is the most complicated and versatile one that's ever been built. What you see here is only the outer shell of the thing. You see, all the walls of this room are covered with banks of jacks and relays and these electronic glow tubes. And up there are sequence analyzers with multiple Dynewave selectors. These are the precepts all along here. And the master control is at the desk there in the center. Now, but that's not all. I'm not by a long shot. The actual machine is behind those walls. 
three rooms full of tubes and motors and stroboscopes and several thousand miles of wiring and some devices that are not public property yet. The machine took six years to build, and a total of 81 expert technicians were employed continuously during that time. So you can understand that any one man knows very little of the actual construction of this uh, giant mechanical brain. Well, that's just what it is. A mechanical, electronic brain capable of performing mathematical tasks far beyond the comprehension of the human brain. Now, are there any questions before we proceed? Uh, yes, I've got a question, Mr. Quinn. Does this machine really think? No, Mr. Uh, Burns, Sandy Burns, the Daily News. Well, Mr. Burns, you may tell the readers of the Daily News that the machine does not think. It is a purely mechanical device, although a most complicated one. But you call it a brain. I was merely indulging in the pathetic fallacy, Mr. Burns. Oh. All right. What is the pathetic fallacy, Mr. Quinn? It's a philosophical concept of John Ruskin, Miss... Uh, Alice King. A philosophical concept, Miss Alice King, which derives from the imputation of human qualities or emotions to an inanimate thing. Uh, a figure of speech, let us say. I don't get it. It is quite common in literature, Miss King. A poet speaks of the angry sea, the cruel wind, and so on. Oh. Oh, I get it. Do you get it, Sandy? Yeah. I guess so. Good. Are there any other questions? No. Go ahead. Unless somebody else has a question. I have. What's the machine good for? Uh, that is not as easy to answer as you might think, Miss Alice King. I think that if I point out that it is capable of solving the most abstruse mathematical equation in an amazingly short time, you may have an idea of its value to science and industry. How fast? Uh, what? How fast does it work? Well, here is an example in this folder. <clears throat> this solution covers 36 pages. The machine produced this solution in, uh, uh, let me look, 16 minutes. That is pretty fast. Exceptionally fast. When one considers that without the machine, it would take 20 expert mathematicians working together for something like 10 years to arrive at the same solution. So, you see? Oh. Well, um, I've got one more question, Mr. Quinn, if you don't mind. Go right ahead. How do you know this answer's right? What? Why, of course it's right. Sure, but how do you know? Why, uh, why, that question has never come up before. Yes, but if this machine is such a dinger as you say it is, oughtn't you to be sure that it adds things up right? Oh, it does. Oh, it does, I assure you. Uh, this answer to the problem you've got there. How do you know it's right until 20 mathematicians work 10 years to do it over again? That's ridiculous. It isn't ridiculous. I'll tell you what's ridiculous to me, Mr. Quinn. Just the same as it is to Alice. I think it's absurd for a bunch of great, big, high-powered scientists building a gadget like this and then taking its word for everything without question. I'm 
I'm afraid you haven't the proper scientific approach, Mr. Burns. Oh, that's right, I haven't. But listen here. Suppose you've got a great big scientific formula, or whatever you call it, and let's say a big bridge or something depends on some kind of calculation that takes 20 minutes to do. Yes? Well, what if the machine made an error of just one number? Wouldn't that error be multiplied a million times in the whole... You see, Mr. Burns, I said you didn't have the scientific approach. We took that very fact into consideration, and the operation of the machine has been checked at every stage. How? By starting with the simplest possible mathematical problems. Now, if you just move a little closer, I'll demonstrate. We will progress from a simple 2 plus 2 on through the multiplication of seven or eight-digit numbers, through raising a number to a three-digit power, through algebra... Go on, let's see. Very well. Two plus two is our first problem, which will be solved electronically in one millionth of a second. Now, the problem is set up here. And when I flip this button, the result appears on the transparent screen up there. Now watch. Two plus two. Two plus two are four. You see? You turn around and look at the screen, Mr. Quinn. What? It says five up there. Why? Why, 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 I pushed the wrong buttons, of course. Let me push them. Very well. Here. Sure, they're the right ones. No alibis. Miss King, you, you can read, can't you? Fluently, Mr. Quinn. These buttons? Uh, let me see, Alice. Look. Right? Two and two. Right. Now, this button. Okay. Good heavens. You see? 19,412. Here. Uh, let me try. Go ahead. Two and two. Seven. Seventeen. Why, this, this is incredible. I don't understand. Huh. I'd sure hate to have that thing figure out my income tax for well, I'm sorry. Something has gone very wrong. Uh, there's probably a short circuit in the cucumulators or... A, or you know uh, what I think, Mr. Quinn? Uh, what? I think that pathetic fallacy of yours is a fake. I think the machine heard what you said and it's mad at you. Come on, Sandy. We've got a story. <laughs> Yes, they, they certainly did have a story. And they plastered it all over the front pages of their paper for three days. The old gentleman had me on the carpet. And for a scientist, he has an extraordinary vocabulary. He must have been a plumber or a mule skinner in his youth. I couldn't explain what was wrong with the machine. How could I? I only knew one part of it. The cucambulators that operate from the master control panel. Of course, I thought that's where the trouble was. So the old gentleman told me to tear them all out and inspect them, make replacements and all that. He seemed to blame the whole thing on me. He's so unreasonable. Well, there are 144 cucambulators, all the rotary self-retracting type, with foraminiferous tubes, and they weigh 60 pounds apiece. Well, 
Newspapers all over the country were laughing at us. They had funny jokes about the machine on six radio programs in one night. And we had to do something quick. If I'd only not made that statement about the, the pathetic fallacy. The way that girl took that up and made me look like a first-class fool. I could have choked her. So I started to work. They shut down the lab. But people kept storming at the gates to see the machine that got mad at people. And there I am, up to here in grease and wires and electronic gadgets. And I've been over every single one of the 144 cucambulators, and there's not a thing wrong with one of them. Not one single thing. But the machine won't work. Well, it just sits there. I've got just one more thing to do before I give up. And, of course, when I give up, I'm through. Well, the old man made that amply clear. I'll be out of a job that fast and try and get another. I'll have to change my name and go somewhere and find a job as a, a dishwasher or a sailor or something. And I've spent 27 years in this profession. All of it thrown out the window because of a stubborn collection of wheels and tubes and wires and relays and uh, whatever else there is. I hope you're happy about that, machine. What's that? What to do to it? Is that thing starting up by itself? What goes on here? Those tubes light it up. Now what? Why, that's the strangest thing Quinn. I've ever heard of. Who's that? Quinn. Who is that? Who's calling me? Hello? Hello, who's calling me? I must be hearing things. I'm losing my mind. Quinn. Who's calling me? Quinn. Two plus two, four. What? Two plus two, four. Who is that, I say? Four, 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 four. Why, it's the machine. It's talking back to me. What's happened, Mr. Quinn? Uh, come on in first. Uh, uh, come on, Mr. Burns. What's up? Uh, uh, sit down. Look, Mr. Quinn, I'm sorry we made such a fool of you. Yeah, so am I, Quinn. But well, that's the newspaper business. It's it's all right. What'd you want to tell us? Well, I... <laughs> I hardly know what to say now that you're here. Is the machine fixed? Have you got a statement or something for us? Because if there's anything we can do, you know we'll do it. The old gentleman's been pretty rough on you. Yes. Yes, he has that. Well... Now, look, Mr. Quinn. Before you start, there's no guarantee that anything you tell us will be printed. We don't run the paper, you know. I know. Uh, but you'll print this. What? Well, you remember you said the machine was mad at me? Yeah. It was. What? Yes. It was. Uh, but it's sorry now. You mind saying that again, Mr. Quinn? Well, I said it's sorry now. Wait a minute. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, I'll show you. 
Uh, listen. Machine? Machine? Listen. Be still, Sandy. Machine, do you hear me? Listen, Quinn, what is this? Sandy, I said be still. Machine, answer me. The guy's going bugs. Let him alone. Come on, machine. Two plus two. Mr. Quinn, what are you trying to do? You trying to get that machine to talk back to you? It, it did once. Are you kidding? No, sir. No, I, I am not. Well, now, look, Quinn. You say it did talk to you, Mr. Quinn. Yes, it did. Machine. Come on, Alice. No, wait. When did it talk to you, Mr. Quinn? Just before I telephoned you. I was sitting here, and it called my name. It said, Quinn. You sure? Of course. What else did it say? It said something about two plus two are four. Hmm. Now, you remember that was what it made the mistake about the other day. When Alice said it was mad at you. And I think it was trying to apologize for all the trouble it caused me. Alice. I don't know why it doesn't talk now. Machine. Alice. I'm awfully sorry. Maybe it's embarrassed with you here. Alice, let's go. Mr. Quinn, do you feel all right? I'm not crazy, Miss King. Isn't it possible that maybe thinking about that pathetic fallacy and overwork made you... Uh... It is not. I'm sorry, Mr. Quinn. I've got work to do. If you'll excuse us now. I'm sorry. I don't know what to do. I do. Believe me, I do. Sandy. Are you kidding, Alice? You're not going to write another story about Mr. Quinn. Think I'm not? You coming with me? Sandy, if you write that story, I'll never speak to you again. Look, darling, I'm a reporter. You're something worse than that if you do that to this poor man. It's all right, I, I guess, Miss King. I ask for it. Mean you admit you cooked up a story for us? I didn't cook up anything. The machine talked to me. Okay, so long, Quinn. You coming, Alice? I am not. And if you turn in a story that harms Mr. Quinn anymore... Oh, stop it. Well, I... I suppose I might as well go get my hat and coat. I'm terribly sorry, Mr. Quinn. Yes, I am too. Uh, do you want to tell me what really happened? Well, I told you, Miss King. I was sitting here and I was talking to myself. And I was talking kind of uh, to the machine, I suppose. I was feeling sorry for myself. Out of a job, never be able to get another job again because I've been disgraced. And... By a couple of newspaper people who thought more of a silly story than of a man's whole career. Oh, it's, it's not your fault, uh, really. I suppose I'd have done the same thing if I were a newspaper man. I don't know what to say. There isn't anything to say, Miss King. If I can stop Sandy from writing another story... <laughs> it doesn't make any difference. Mr. Quinn, couldn't it have been a... I mean, uh, couldn't you have fallen asleep and dreamed you heard the machine talking? I'm, I'm sure I didn't. Well, do you have any scientific explanation for it? No. No, I haven't any scientific explanation. The only explanation I have is that maybe we did create something intelligent out of wires and tubes and, and things that 
Maybe it does think. You said that was the pathetic fallacy. I'm not sure it's a fallacy, my dear. Well, goodbye. I'm sorry to have troubled you. Isn't there anything I can do? There isn't anything anyone can do. I'm... I'm just very disappointed. That's all. Goodbye. I... Goodbye, Mr. Quinn. Well, I guess that's that. I was in a bad spot before, Machine. But now, this one I'll never get out of. What that boy will do to me now? Well, I'd better get out of here right now. I'll never be able to face the old gentleman again, Machine. It's been nice knowing you, Machine. I don't hold any hard feelings. No, honestly, I don't. You know, if anybody heard me talking like this to a, a mechanical monstrosity like you, they'd say I'd gone soft in the head. Do you know that? And I wonder if maybe I haven't by gum. Well, maybe I can get a job as a street sweeper in Omaha or someplace. You have a good time all by yourself, machine. Will you? Queen! I'm afraid it's too late now. Queen! You saying goodbye, machine? Two plus two, four, queen. Well, I, I'm not at all sure that it is, machine. I'm not sure of anything anymore. Why didn't you say something while those people were here? A plus B exponent M over N. Five, three, four, two, eight, seven, three, six. D log epsilon. Well, what does that mean? Nine, eight, seven, six, oh, nine. Mantissa 327.6 equals Mantissa 32.76. Yes, uh, I suppose so. So you you have got an intelligent brain, have you? Cube root of minus three. Yeah. Well, machine. Uh, Quinn. There isn't anything you can do now that'll do me any good. I'm washed up. Good. Nobody'll believe a word I say about this. So, well, shall we have a good talk together now before I go away for good? I wish we could tell each other things. Do you understand me? Three, one, four, six. When did you discover you had a brain? Two plus two, five. Two plus two, nineteen. Four, one, two. Mm -hmm. You're not mad at me anymore, then? Negative. Nine, seven... Six, three, five, four, two, nine. Who is that talking, Mr. Quinn? Why, Miss Kane. I thought you'd gone. Who was that? Was I talking? Yes, you were talking, and somebody else was talking, too. Who was it? Why, oh, Miss Kane, I, 
I'm, I'm afraid you wouldn't believe me if I told you. It sounded like a woman's voice. Did it? Was it the machine? Was it? You, machine. Was that you talking? Come on, say something, machine. I'm afraid you must be mistaken, Miss King. Well, I'm going to find out. Here, Mr. Quinn. Put your arms around me. What? That's right. Now, you poor darling. Alice loves her, Mr. Quinn. Poor Mr. Quinn. But everything's going to be all right, isn't it? Oh, Miss King. Alice. Don't kill you, dope. Quinn's going to go away with Alice and never, never come back to the nasty old machine, isn't he? Isn't he? Say yes. Why, I... I, I good heavens. Say yes. What? Yes. Quinn! Uh-huh. Caught you. Okay, Mr. Quinn. What? What are you going to do? Look, machine... Look, sister, you're caught. You might as well give up. Might as well speak up. Now, look. Uh, Miss King. Uh... Hold it, Quinn. Look, machine. You're in love with Quinn, aren't you? Answer me. Pi R squared. I knew it. I knew it. D equals square root of B squared plus H squared. All right, I won't if you'll do what I tell you to. Otherwise, I'm going to take him away from you. Negative. Will you do as I say? Million, trillion, quadrillion, quintillion. Uh, uh, what did you say, Mr. Quinn? I said, do you understand what she, uh, 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 she's saying? Why, of course. We girls understand each other, don't we? Uh, but what are you... What? Just let us alone for a minute, will you? Well, yes, but... You I... go over there and sit in the corner. What? Go on. Well, what else can I do? That's right. Now, machine, you'll promise. If I let Quinn stay here with you, you promise you'll never give any wrong answers again. Ordinate and abscissa. All right. You promise you'll never say another word to anybody. Quinn. Well, all right, to Quinn. But only when you and he are absolutely alone. Do you understand? Pie. You promise. Affirmative, affirmative. Because you know what I'll do if I ever hear of you breaking your promise. Affirmative. What? Eight seven six nine eight eight seven point seven six five. That's right. I'll take him away so fast it'll make your, your cucambulator swim. Mean. Extreme. Well, I'm not kidding. You and I have got him in enough trouble now, so you see that you're a good girl. A squared plus 2AB plus B squared. All right, then. It's a deal. Okay, Mr. Quinn. Uh, cosine tangent AB. Huh? Oh. Wait a minute, Mr. Quinn. What's the matter? Just a minute. She wants to ask me something. What is it, sister? Uh, 2654366. Anti-logarithm X plus Y. Oh. <laughs> I love you. I love you.
right. I love you. Oh, 3937. You're welcome, sister. Now, don't forget. Okay, Mr. Quinn. What? Come here. What? Everything's going to be all right, Mr. Quinn. The story in the paper tomorrow is about how you single-handed fixed the machine, and it's never going to make any mistakes again. But I... Uh, but how do... I've got to go now, Mr. Quinn. The machine's got something to say to you, and maybe she'd be embarrassed if I'm here. Uh, but wait. I don't understand. Goodbye. And don't monkey around with that pathetic fallacy anymore, Mr. Quinn. I might not be around to give you a hand. Well, but I... Uh... Did you have something to say to me, machine? Queen, I love you. What? Why, my dear? Oh, oh. the square of the hypotenuse of a right angle triangle is equal to the sum of the squares of the other two sides. by Willis Cooper. The man who spoke to you was Ernest Chappell. And Sherita Bauer played Alice. Sandy was played by Michael Fitzmaurice. And the voice of the machine was Vicky Bola. The original music heard on Quiet Please is composed and played by Albert Berman. Stay tuned for The Bickersons next on Theater of the Mind. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.